discovered it must be told. From beginning to end. Now, here's a little story I got to tell. Here is a story about music. Stories about songs. Season two, now part of the Stony Island Pods family. Stony Island Audio. Back again. Back again. I want to start things off with a story about the great Big L. Yeah, Big L is the first to represent. You want the mic is Big L, that brother who kicks flame guard, known for sending garbage and seeds to the graveyard. You know, I actually try to think about where I want to start this story. You know, I could start it going way back to Harlem roots. Talk about the Fearless Four, particularly the Fearless Freestyle 83 song. Crash crew from Harlem. There's some connections there, some seeds. Uh, or I could take it to Queens and Brooklyn with the Juice crew, who you know they came later in the '80s. I think I'll touch on those things if I can fit them in as the story goes on. Instead, we'll start in the Bronx with Lord Finesse and DJ Mike Smooth. I don't front up a tank cause that's imaginary. I get funky with the use of vocabulary. I'm more deadlier than a bottle of sauna. When I dig in my brain to say a fly rhyme, I might bust in, say a little something. Get the party pumping, yo, that ain't nothing. So don't bore me. I've been naughty. Even as a kid, people said, look at shorty. Back in the days, I had much attention. Speak of competition, man, listen. Even then, I could have been a funky star. At the age of 12, I was rhyming on a monkey boss. A little kid with the art of poetry. Nice for my age, but nobody noticed me. Nowadays, I tell it like it is. That makes my skill different from her or his. And Lord Finesse is a unique situation for me his debut album came out in 1990 and that's around the time when like rap albums were just coming out much more in abundance you know the first several years uh 79 to 84 85 and that was mostly 12 inch singles it was rare anyone had a an album uh the early part of that there were really no rap albums rap artists put out albums that had like two rap songs some R&B, which I've talked about before, but rap albums were a relatively new thing. When Lord Finesse dropped Funky Technician, he's the first person I can remember buying an album before I heard any music. Like, I didn't hear a single. I never heard him on anything, like a guest appearance, because they weren't that coming back then either. So I, I, I didn't hear, I had, I bought the Lord Finesse and DJ Mike Smooth Funky Technician album without hearing anything. I think I read about Lord Finesse in like probably the source or, you know, maybe like a Rap Masters or something like that, talking about him. You know, was supposed to battle in the new music seminar. So I think I may have read about him 
but that was it. I did, or, and they might even mention like he's early like 12 inch in in the source, and I had read about it, but hadn't heard anything. So that was just rare to like, you know, I, I pretty much bought a whole album. It's like okay, based on the name and the song titles, that's all I because I didn't even know the producer I, at that point. I didn't know Premiere because I had the Gangstar album, but you know, even that was like the only produced because Showbiz and Diamond D. Like I had heard Diamond D on the Jazzy J project, but I didn't even make that connection. I don't think when I was looking at the back of the Lord Finesse in the store. So the Lord Finesse is important for another reason for me too. Another first. So here's the thing, if, if you don't know this about me, if I haven't said this on an episode before, but I've never really been an album person. And I think there's a few reasons why. It's a longer story than we need to get into here. But I've always been the kind of person, you know, that when I would get an album... I listened to the album once, maybe twice, picked my favorite songs. This stopped many years ago, but I'm saying like in the 80s up until, I say from 1981 to like 2002, this is what I would do. Buy albums and singles, find what I like, and then I put the, when I have enough songs, I put them on a compilation tape, you know, 90 or 60 minute tape, or for a brief time, I would use a 120 minute tape, but that was rare. I didn't like the long tape, 60 or 90 was best, 90 was preferred. So I would just like, you know, compile my favorites. So I would, you know, every couple of weeks, I was buying a lot of music, so every couple of weeks, or at least once a month, I would make a new tape of the things I liked. And I generally wouldn't ever go back to the album again I, I would have the tape with my favorites and that'd be it Lakehurst Mall was the place where I would buy my music back then sometimes you know I'd go to record stores every once in a while I would drive all the way to Chicago but there was a few places in Lakehurst to buy tapes I wasn't buying CDs yet that's that's not to like 93 for me so there was like um I can't remember the, the names of the spots but there was like one spot downstairs I let Chris to buy I would buy tapes from that was the main spot and then upstairs it was like a kind of like a gift shop like a kind of like a Spencer something like that but they sold some music sometimes I got a few things there I got MC Hammer's first record there on vinyl I remember that. That's why I remember buying. I was a rare time I, I shopped there because we got the MC Hammer. And I wanted to check out. I kept hearing about Hammer. I was like, okay, let me buy this Hammer thing and see what it's about. But the other spot upstairs, they had uh, tapes and they had a vinyl section. And so I remember like seeing this Lord Finesse and Mike Smooth, Funky Technician. I don't know at that point I had recognized that, that I had read about him in the source or whatever. I don't know. I was like, oh, okay, this looks interesting. And I'm reading the titles, trying to figure out, is this worth paying whatever it was, $10 to buy this record? These song titles convinced me, and it's on Wild Pitch. Wild Pitch has a has had a good track record at this point of putting out stuff that I like. You know, I love the chill Rob G, and, uh, you know, they had La T. You know, they had the Flavor Unit Connection and you know, 45 King Production. So, you know, on Wild Pitch. So I was already a fan of Wild Pitch, and I trusted the Wild Pitch brand. So I got the Lord Finesse record and I brought it home. And I was time living at Foxcrest Apartments in Waukegan. Me and my roommate, uh, DJ Mad Max, we were roommates and production partners and also in the group Wildstyle together. But we had this little setup with like, you know, his, his turntables and we got like this nice big bass box speaker and this large, like, it was like, we had like a, it was like a concert amp, small concert setup. So in this apartment complex, if we went to like volume one or one and a half, we probably would get noise complaints. They don't like put it on like half. <laughs> These go to 11. 
So I took the record home. I'm listening to Funky Technician, trying to pick what songs to put on. Cause I think that was, I was, okay, now I have enough stuff to, to do a compilation tape. I've been compiling for a few weeks or whatever. And so I need like this, my, my, my goal back then, this is, I had a real low expectation of albums. So to show you how I didn't really value albums. I was like, as long as I can pick at least four songs worthy worthy of going on a compilation tape, I got my money's worth. When I was buying an album, all I wanted was at least four songs good enough to go onto a compilation tape, and I feel like the album was a success for, for me as, as a consumer. So I had a real low expectation, but I had a problem this time, and I, I remember like... <laughs> like getting like frustrated i was like man I, I like a lot of these songs on this record i can't pick what songs I mean, like i i can't have a whole i can't have this many songs because i like to be kind of strategic with my compilation tapes like I, I can't have that much lord finesse on here and i remember so that's the first i bought it on vinyl right so i literally got mad <laughs> got up walked out went back to the mall and just bought it on tape i'm like okay this was not going to get on so that lord finesse record those songs I don't think are any compilation tapes in that period, which was unheard of. I've been doing those tapes since 81, and I always put, but I just, when I wanted to hear Lord Finesse, I listened to the whole tape. And so that was what was unique about the Funky Technician record. I like that record because I saw the Juice Crew DNA and what he was doing. I was like, okay, it gets confirmed because on the scratch hooks, oh, he, okay, he's, he's scratching up some cool G rap. You know, you're scratching up Craig G in the hook. He was a person who was a fan of the Juice Crew. Not, not, not saying that's where he got his style from. He might have been like, oh, they're doing what I'm doing too. Who knows? But I could tell there was a connection to Lord Finesse. And, the, and I was a huge fan of the Juice Crew. And so then I, now I was a huge fan of Lord Finesse. And Lord Finesse, he was like known for his punchlines, but how he really made those punchlines get accented is the way he did it. He was using great multi-syllables, but doing it patterns of three. If you listen to like Baby You Nasty or Funky Technician, I think Baby You Nasty is the best example. You listen to that, you will hear what I'm talking about. The lyrical summary, there's only one of me. Lord Finesse is far from the one of me. Cause I could get funky and smooth like cashmere and slay a rapper with rhymes as it last year. And he wasn't the first to do that. People that sprinkled it in, Rakim had did it on Paid in Full, and Kane dabbled in it, G-Rap dabbled in it. One of the first ones that really caught my attention was Letter to the Better, Master Ace in 89. You know, the handful of lines, but particularly the, it won't fade or run, because it's made of 100% knowledge to wait a ton. Listen, bud, yo, your rhymes are done. Pencil off, pen and I'll draw blood and take a strong stance. He could throw a few, a few different techniques in there. Yeah, guys like the wise guys and too poetic coming in too, but Lord Finesse really mastered it. So damn fly at this, so don't even try to this. Put rhymes together like a stupid mad scientist in a laboratory. I'm a rebel with a batter story. Lord Finesse stands top to my category. MCs are petrified with nowhere left to hide. I slay a rap and go, what's up, who's next to try? I ain't having it, poetical graduate. And me get whipped by who? He's like really got this three style multi down pat. 
So Lord Finesse came in and was like, he was doing that for pretty much a whole album. Like, okay, oh, they did it for like a song. He's doing this pretty heavily on the whole album. That's gotta take some time to be come up with that many multi-syllables. So I was a big fan. Beyond that, the story, this, this is a big album. And it doesn't get its credit. Like here's another thing that it doesn't get credit for is that people often say that Nas Illmatic is the album that introduced the multi-producer, which is absolutely wrong because there's multi-producer albums that date back at least to 88. 783 off the top, 88 is a multi-produced record. And then 89, Queen Latifah is like that. And Lord Finesse. And Lord Finesse is pretty much in a similar way to what the Illmatic is, or but or more so, it's the seeds to how you even get an Illmatic is the Lord Finesse Funky Technician in more ways than one. Because that record, the Lord Finesse record is produced by DJ Premier, Showbiz, Diamond D. And this album is also the blueprint and foundation of DITC, Digging in the Crates Crew, which Big L was a part of. Digging in the crates. Let's get busy. Digging in the crate. And the album also features, you know, how a lot of people first heard AG. Ryman is on that record with Laura Finesse. And, you know, he's also DIT. So this record is the foundation for a lot of things. And so, and then, you know, a lot of people will say that when Nas came out, it's like, oh, Nas sounds like he's like the same way that I feel Finesse picked up something from the Juice Crew. That's how I feel about, oh, Nas picked up something from the Juice Crew and Finesse. You know, like Nas sounds like kind of like a mix between Finesse and G-Rap. And Big L is in there somewhere in that passing of the baton or whatever as well. Because first heard Big L on the Showbiz and AG record, Runaway Slave, and a song called Represent, which also features Lord Finesse. And it features Big L and Icewater Deshaun. And when that first drop, I actually really was leaning slightly towards Icewater Deshaun's my favorite verse because he was just more like over the top. He was just more like bugged out. He was saying some wild things. I was like, oh, I wanna hear what else he has to say because he had a real bugged out way of thinking about things. With a machete, I'm a crazy Eddie scissor hand. Born with such a thirst to kill. I can chop 200 quarters from a $50 bill. Cutting down with a hundred pound axe. Like I was raised by cycle crazed lumberjacks. So in a battle, I be stabbing, chopping MCs like trees, piece by piece, building cabins. I'm a maniac magician, abracadabra, making pain appear. Cause I'm a grabber. But Big L was like really impressive too with that. He was already doing that like perfect three style with the multis, but he had this like little swing on it with like the little roll of the tongue thing he would do to show the different like fluidity he had with his flow, you know? And he had like the ill punch line. So he threw the little shock value in there. So it was like, he was seeing how that style was like just slowly developing over time where you see how in 83 with uh, Phyllis Ford did with Phyllis Freestyle. And then it has some different changes from there and then you get to um juice crew to lord finesse to then a big l and nas around the same time coming out doing their evolution of that and big l was definitely one of the greats of that time that's 92 
when that showbiz and edgy record comes out. And so 92, this is probably 93, uh, early 93, I think. I end up going to New York. I think this might have been the first time I went to New York. At the time, you know, one of my best friends was this guy, Black Man Zeke. At one point, I was living with him and his pops. But uh, yeah, I produced his early demos. We've been friends for a long time. And we went to New York. Step back for a second, you know, he had been doing solo music as this Black Man Zeke. But then he was part of this group called the 40 Thieves. And so they did a couple of things. But then this guy, Drew, moved from New York to come to um, Chicago for school. And Zeke and him became a group called Indigenous Theory. They always miss when they swing at Bases are loaded and I'm next up to bat So now I'm a dirty up my denims As I hem them like the jeans of the bells As he swell from top to bottom I get my two scoops in the morning Roll my swisher then I'm outie Seek me packing a pistol Cause he's really getting rowdy Down the block on the corner of my street In my hood I'm down for saying people Cocking my nine words just as good Drew is Gravity A.K.A. Grav who a few years later did an album on, in 96, put out an album on Correct Records, which people will know as the record that got Kanye his first production credit. So like when Grab was working on that uh, Down to Earth record, I stayed with him back then, you know, so I was in some of those studio sessions and you know, me and Kanye both stayed at Grab's mother's house in Harlem. So that's, you know, that's a few years after this, you know, where I'm about the story I'm trying to tell. but in this story as well in 93 or whatever is the first time that I stayed with Grav because Grav and um, Zeke were doing indigenous theory stuff so we were out in New York so we were in New York and in Harlem staying at Grav's mom's place and he takes us to this chicken spot I think it was 24 hours but we would go late night the whole neighborhood always had activity no matter what time it was And and I always liked that energy so we went there every night. I think like the second or third night there, Zeke and I went to this chicken spot, this time without Drew. And we're in line, it's a long line, and we're, t- we're just talking about hip hop. And then we're talking about the industry. And I don't know, we're, we're being dramatic, I'm sure. It's me and Zeke. And there's a person, three people behind us. I can tell that they're like listening to our conversation. They're kind of like leaning in. And so we start talking louder so that they can hear what we're saying. They never join the conversation, but they're clearly paying attention. So Zeke and I get our food, and as we're walking out, Zeke went out before me. And that person stopped me, go, hey, he says, UMC, you rhyme? And I was like, nah, I mean, at the time, this was so 93, I had slowed down from MCing. You know, that's when I first slowed down and I was kind of just like getting burnt out, but I still was rhyming. I think I really said no because I was where my head was at in that moment. I didn't want him to be like, kick a rhyme because I wasn't you know, in that mood. So I was like, nah, not really. I used to 
MC, but now I do this, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, you rhyme. And I, and I said it, I wasn't trying to be necessarily sarcastic, but it was almost unintentionally sarcastic because it was this thing, and it, it was a joke that we kept talking about on this trip that everyone we meet rhymed. Everyone was an MC, and almost everyone would tell you they had a record deal. So it was just like, when I asked him, oh, you rhyme, he was like, yeah, and I just got a record deal. <laughs> so that was the first thing he said. You know, I just got a record deal with Columbia. Then I was like, oh, yeah, of course, because everyone in New York raps and has a record deal. I was like, oh, what's your name? He's like, L. 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 And I was like, cool, man. I'll look for you, L. And I'm pretty sure I said it sarcastically, probably dismissingly. I was probably a little, like, condescending. And I wasn't trying to be. I was just like, yeah, you and everyone I met in New York has this same story. So then I walked outside, and he's outside, and we're out there. And for some reason, this is the first time I was, I thought about, where are we? Like, where exactly are we? And so I look up, I go, oh, okay, Linux and 137. I was like, 137? That's not, no, 139. What's because on the showbiz and ag album they you know on the big l it's like one thirty they say 139th in linux and so i'm just like what l so i go back in i'm so like bugging that i'm probably aggressive with the door so that l looks back to see what you know the commotion is and i'm like Big L? He's like, yeah, you heard of me? I'm like, yeah, you, you kill it on represent. Because at the time, that's pretty much all that I, I had only heard that one verse. He he had, at this point, the Yes You May remix had just dropped, but I hadn't heard it yet. I had heard about it, but I hadn't heard it. And, he, then we and he's like, yeah, I'm on this remix. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I heard about that. I haven't heard it yet. So we talked about that. And then we, so we exchanged numbers. So I was like, yeah, man, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm, he's like, yeah, I got signed. So you guys like, yeah, signed to Columbia? He's like, yeah, got a sign. He's like, yeah, I got you know, this album coming up, Showbiz Beats and, you know, Finesse. And so we talked about this album in this chicken spot and then we exchanged numbers. I'm saying all he had was two verses out. So he was just like, and he was excited that someone that, you know, not just that he was recognized, but someone that didn't even live there. I was living in Waukee in Illinois, which he never probably heard of. I'm sure he was like, I never heard of that place. So I probably said, yeah, Chicago, close to Chicago. So that's how I met Big L, which was really, really dope to meet him at that time in, in that way. Like, you know, so I would meet people all the time. I really didn't even call people a lot unless I had a reason to. I wouldn't just call just to talk. So that was like 93. I didn't have the radio show yet, but I was doing some writing for the flypapers. So I was calling about stuff like that. So I think I called him once. He called me once. We talked those couple times and that was it. And, you know, then the album came out. Once the album came out, I never called him and we didn't talk. But I was a fan of the record. Had the punchlines, the shock value, great production, and just like, you know, great technique. But just like, he would just do these, like, what he, he would just rhyme these multi-syllable things that would be like, what made you think of that? Well, he rhymed, what he, what he rhymed with on, on that Stretch Armstrong show, Freestyle, when he rhymes uh, beef steak with my technique's great. Like, he just does stuff like, okay, you, not every person would think to rhyme those words and syllables. I cook the mic like a beef steak because my technique's great and I'm the police hating each state. 
So he was special in that way. People don't ever talk about like, I don't understand it. That song was dope about the industry. Then I wonder how the hell they wreck and sell. They rap so stale and frail. They force like fairy tales. The technique and everything is speak weak. You got a little airplay because of your beats. Your fame and your name. Put your lyrics on lame. Black step to this and get ran over like train tracks. Your raps are poor and whack. And you went on tour with that. Crap, don't understand it. Cause rhyme skills you lack. I got more soul than nightmares. Giving them seeds nightmares. Rap be front hard and rhymes they don't write theirs. But still call themselves MCs. Please, how could that be? course the posse cut eight is enough with his crew was a dope one he's a bunch of dope mcs on there it's got some joints on it so i was a big i was a fan of that record and then you know getting to meet him and, and knowing he was like this cool humble person made it even more special that's the album comes out in 94 it's probably like early 95 the notorious big album just went platinum and so uh they had a platinum party in chicago i think i think it was at club drink they had a platinum party there. And by now, since 95, me and um, Jay Bird, we have Caught in the Middle magazine. And Bird, I believe, is doing promotions for Bad Boy. He worked like the Ready to Die record. Like, that's how I, like, met Notorious B.I.G. Like, he, he came to a show. He didn't perform. He was just there hanging out. Like, it was a show. Like, uh, he was there. Like, D.O.C. was there. Uh, yeah, the Licks performed. And it was a concert. And I remember, like, this... Notorious B.I.G. was and he can't he was like super cool because I was just back there chilling I, I'm like I don't really talk to people or harass people or whatever I just chill and he came up to me he was like hey what's up man Notorious B.I.G. yeah I'm like yeah I know who you are you're Notorious B.I.G. Brooklyn is the land of the lost man when you're in it you're stuck in it there's nowhere to go after that man you know say anything else is just an imitation man believe me when I tell you everybody try but they don't succeed at that point, I don't think the the album had dropped, but he had, you know had those singles out. He was he was definitely hot at the time, but he was still like super humble. Well, he'll come up and meet you. So anyway, by now this his record was platinum, and so he they had a platinum party that Puffy threw this platinum party for him in Chicago, and so I went there because of Caught in the Middle because a bird you know got me in. So I'm hanging out, and it's like a pretty like you know star-studded like puffy's there star-studded affair like i remember like i didn't know his name like what uh lorenz tate right but like at the time we just knew like oh, that's old dog for minutes he was at the bar drinks someone's someone like old dog's here like old dog's here like oh yeah 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 old dog is here he's at the bar having a drink right now a star-studded affair and then i hear someone like i can't remember if he said my name he might have said kev but i knew someone was acknowledging me i turn around it's like this really really like multicolored bright shirt like it's the kind of shirt like you bought that shirt to be the brightest thing where you were gonna go <laughs> and it was big l he's wearing this like really bright multicolored shirt and he recognized me he came up to me he was like what's up oh i was like what's up he's like what you want to tell me he's like i just came in for this i was like okay so me and big l were talking in the middle of the club like a club drink and then Puffy comes up because Puffy just sees Big L. I want to see what table that bottle going to. I'm going to send you five bottles to rock. And so Puffy's there like, oh, this is L. I was like, oh, this is my guy Kev. So I meet Puffy. And as we're as I'm meeting Puffy, like the um, there's like a photographer for the night comes up. And he's like, hey, can y'all give me a photo? So it's like, I think Puffy's on my left. I'm in the middle and Big L's on the right. So 
somewhere in the world there's a photo of Puffy, me, and Big L. It probably says Puffy, Big L, and unknown. But if it's out there, that's me. <laughs> and that's where it happened at. Because yeah, I've tried to get that photo, but I haven't been able to track it down. But I, I would love that just because I'm a you know fan of Big L. And it's just a funny photo of me, Puffy, and Big L that exist or existed at some point. And it's one of those things you hear all these people theorize about, you know, where he was going, what was going to happen, and we'll never know. But what we do know is in that time that he was here, he just did some incredible things as a lyricist. He was very passionate about what he did. Yeah, he was just very witty with the pen and just like, and the flow was impeccable. Just like, if someone's like talented and then you meet them and they're also just like guys with a kind of special energy to them. It, it just makes it all the more rewarding to like, you know, support their music or just listen to the music. Like, oh yeah, this is actually, yeah, this is a good person as well. It's like, like so much so that like, you know, like I said, I, I start, I hadn't started radio when I met Big L, but April 95, he's out, his album had been out for a little while then. Right around the time or right after I saw him at Chicago with Club Drink, for that party, I started my radio shows. Right, I think it was that both those things I believe happened in the spring of '95. So on my on my radio show, I was like religious about being there every week. Like that was like very important for me to be there that radio show every week. But in '99, I was just going through some different things in life and just like I was getting burnt out from the show, and so I had stopped doing it for a while. I had um this guy Jesse Ducker and PNS the Moment take over and I did I don't know how remember how long it was but it was just like I just took a break I didn't I, I didn't go and I was just at home chilling I don't know if I ever told anyone this but I actually wasn't planning on going back I just had a hard time just quitting so I was like let me just like ask them to fill in and then just never go back which is what how I got the show like so I just filled in for for Jello and then he just never came back and I have no idea why he didn't come back and I just never asked and so I had a show for all those years and so I was like let me just do the same thing I'm just gonna just not go back <laughs> and then they'll have a show but in that time that I was gone Big L passed away I heard that you know he had been killed and so I went back to um, do a tribute show to Big L and so that's why I went back to, to, to on time travel and I did that show and you know, then I stayed for, for years and years to come and then stayed on radio even beyond that. Another way that like Big L impacted me, I wanna go make sure people know what kind of artist Big L was. Stories about songs, Big L, we got some great stories this season. Definitely stay tuned in. Lord Finesse is nasty, period. Before we get out of here one clarification of something that popped in my head once i've finished and listened back to this and also adds a piece of details that i didn't think of so i remembered this um i talk about the album and i in the episode and i'm a little unclear about the release date and i do make a mistake kind of his debut album big l's debut album lifestyles of the poor and dangerous uh, doesn't come out till march of 95 but that is the reason why the one phone call when Big L called me was about getting an advance of the album. And I have one of the original 
tapes of the album when they first made the event. It's the version that had the three songs they took off. Um, you know, was it Times is Hard, Should Have Used the Rubber, and School Days. So I have that, that version of the promo that I got back in 94. So when I'm talking on the episode about having the album in 94 and it being out, it's just that it wasn't out, but I had it because I was doing Caught in the Metal magazine and some other things. I was writing for the flypaper, and that's why Big L called me to get me on the mailing list to get that record. So, clarification. And so that means when I saw him in Chicago in 95 at that platinum party in March, that was the same within weeks, maybe even that week, that his album was dropping out. It was He was out there to some degree because of his album was a right about the drop or had just dropped so that gives a little more context to those stories stories about songs always more stories before the rap contract i was selling cracks stage trap with a mac i was into all of that i started rapping and got nice as hell if it wasn't for this i might be doing life in jail and some of my peeps are still in the game selling cane if that's what you gotta do to maintain go ahead and do your thing but with the Profit making investment and try not to go to the grave like the rest with. Cause you could be rich with crazy loot, own a house and nine cars. What good is that if you're dead or behind bars? And hey, yo, it's not even funny. I seen a lot of my peers give up their careers for some fast money. They could have been boxers, ball players, or rap singers. Instead, they bank robbers and crap slingers. And hey, yo, they 